listening to Trending with Timory, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. National speaker Timory Millington has been a passionate advocate for life as long as she can remember, helping Gen X through Z answer the call to true feminism and authentic manhood. Timory holds a master's degree in biblical theology, and she covers this week's hottest stories from a Catholic worldview. You're listening to Trending with Timory. Hello everyone, it is great to be with you. My guest today is Father Robert Spitzer. Many of you who have been in the realm of theology in the Catholic Church for years know that this is a seasoned name who has been incredibly influential in speaking to the proofs for the existence of God, speaking to those who are struggling with atheism, theism, and so much more. But also he has work over the last few years really appealing to the human desire for happiness. So today we'll be talking with Father Spitzer about happiness and how to be happy. Welcome, Father. Oh, thanks so much. Uh, it's great to be with you again, Timory. And I and, uh, have to say, uh, uh, happiness, that's a pretty important topic. You know, I think that we're in a time where we are so distracted, whether people are struggling with just kind of walking around, constantly having to be plugged in with a cell phone at their fingertips, music always playing in their ears, or even constantly streaming some sort of Netflix, Amazon Prime, or some sort of media content that we always want to be entertained here and now in the moment, even if we're multitasking. Uh, absolutely, and uh, unfortunately, what that does is it shortens our attention span and sort of disenables us from looking at the long term and committing ourselves uh, to the long term, particularly for deeper kinds of happiness. Because short-term happiness, that's easy to get in the short term. I can see a bowl of linguine, grab it, eat it, and it will make me happy. But unfortunately, if you want the much more pervasive, enduring, and deep kind of happiness. You want the happiness that lasts unto eternity, the happiness that involves your soul, your desire for perfect truth, love, goodness, beauty, and home. That's going to take a longer attention span and, above all, commitment, stick-to-itness, fortitude. And that really isn't developed well by the um, generation of social media uh, that's gone uh, kind of uh, crazy uh, but it really has a shortened attention span and really has undermined commitment and longer term and deeper kinds of happiness and satisfaction. Wow, there's so many directions we could go from the yeah. lack of people getting married today, from the mm -hmm. boredom people are experiencing. But here's one phrase. Have you heard the phrase adulting before? No. You haven't. Okay, so there's this theme now <laughs> where people say, oh, well, I have to go an adult this weekend. Like maybe I need to, you know, paint my house. Maybe I need to actually move into a new house. Maybe I, you know, have something that's more responsible that I need to do instead of kind of going along with the beat of the drum, having fun, enjoying, and you have people who are in their late 20s, early 30s, who use this phrase like only adult, quote unquote, when necessary. Yeah. Do you think this is part of this whole problem of being happy? Yes, uh, it certainly is. Again, you can see that the higher forms of happiness, as we'll be discussing, you know, the contributive and, and especially the eternal, the faith kind of happiness, uh, that does require a lot of adulting. It requires a lot of time spent on responsible activities that are oriented toward long-term goals and defer gratification. I mean, if you can't defer gratification, 
you're going to be terrible at commitments. You're going to be terrible at orienting yourself toward long-term goals. You're going to be terrible at looking at the deeper kinds of intangible things within you. And you say, well, what kind of intangible things? Love can be pretty intangible if you mean by love more than a feeling, if you mean that you want to you know, look for the good news in the other, such that doing the good for the other will be easier than doing the good for yourself. That's going to require a great deal of empathy, a great deal of discipline, a great deal of fortitude. In the process, right, you, you can't just be occasionally adulting. You're going to, be have to going to have to be adulting for quite a while. Relationships require almost full-time adulting. I love that because I think that's a wake-up call to anyone who's going, you know, I'll, I'll mature, I'll grow up, I'll get over these bad habits once I meet someone I'm interested in marrying or, you know, once I start to have that commitment. But the problem is, as you're saying, if we don't start now, you're not going to be ready. And that's where we're seeing painful relationships taking place right now. Yeah, the mistake a lot of people make is they forget that habits are involved in the process of commitment. If you have good habits, that means you know, your, your, your subconscious mind is ingrained with these things. Then when you decide that you don't want to get married to somebody and you habitually are looking at the long term, looking at family, can make decisions on the basis of deferred gratification and self-sacrifice, and you really have your faith as the important part of that marriage that's coming up, then with all those habits, the faith habit, the deferred gratification habit, the self-sacrifice habit, the contributive habit, you're going to have a great long-term commitment and marriage. Those habits will support you. Unfortunately, if you have habits that are in the opposite direction, never deferring gratification, in other words, immediate gratification required, No self-sacrifice. In other words, I only sacrifice myself if I really, really have to, right? If you have habits that are not based on going to church and going to confession or trying to to develop your faith, your relationship with the Lord and your faith relationship, if those habits are in place, can you imagine trying to make a purely conscious intellectual decision? Uh, All right, now I'm going to move into a marriage. I'm going to put faith at the center of my marriage, deferred gratification, self-sacrifice for the good of all these people that I'm going to uh, give birth to and I'm going to, uh, you know, have a relationship with and and the community that's going to support my marriage. I'm just going to make that decision right now to do it. But all of your habits, all of your subconscious habits, which influence your behavior as much, if not more, than your conscious decision, are going in the opposite direction, you are hopelessly going to fail. Build your habits now. Build them toward long-term goals. Build them toward deferred gratification. Start building that relationship with Christ, your church relationships, your sacramental relationships, now. And as you're building these things and the habitual part starts welling up, you're training your subconscious mind. It won't act against your conscious decision. Then you're going to be in great shape for a commitment. But if you go the opposite direction, you just think at the last minute I'll make a conscious decision, your subconscious mind will be oriented in completely the opposite direction. Your habits, ingrained habits in the subconscious mind will be going the opposite direction. It will undermine you within five seconds. 
It'll be like the golfer who sits there and says, you know, I, I'm not going to practice, but, you know, when I make the decision to be a good golfer, I'll be just fine. <laughs> and you have no habits, you have no, uh, you know, practice, you know, behind you that, that is really controlling the subconscious mind. Of course, you're going to fail. Someone might think I'm coming from an at this from an extreme, but I'm thinking of a drug addict and people who think mm-hmm. they can just quit alcohol, drugs, cold turkey. Yeah. Well, when we have years of habitual activity that are bad habits, how on earth do you expect yourself to suddenly change your behavior? Yeah. For those who are just joining us, that is Father Robert Spitzer of the Magis Center. You're listening to Trending with Timory. Father, can we start to talk about the four levels of happiness? Mm-hmm. Give a little kind of glimpse of what they are, and then we'll unpack them throughout the rest of the show, talking about how you can achieve that higher level. Yeah. I might just start before the four levels with saying this term happiness, you know, Aristotle thought it was the most important term that anyone could define for their life's purpose as well as for their ethics. And and he puts it right at the beginning uh, of the Nicomachean ethics. I'm going to paraphrase it for our culture. But his, his line basically goes like this. Happiness is the one thing you can will for itself. One thing you can choose for itself. Everything else is willed for the sake of happiness. Everything. So every decision you make, every you know, time you turn around and make a judgment on yourself, you're doing it for the sake of happiness. So you can see how this one word can control your relationships, who you, who you're, who's going to be your friend, what career you're going to go for, whether you're going to practice your faith, whether you're going to take your ethics seriously, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Every single <clears throat> issue of great moment in your life is going to be defined by what you think happiness is. So hold on, because here is what Aristotle, St. Thomas Aquinas, St. Augustine, all the way to the current age, psychologists, right? Uh, you know, uh, anthropologists, and, and of course, theologians. I mean, and it doesn't have to be just Catholic theologians. You, can be, you know, uh, Christian theologians, Jewish theologians like Martin Buber, or, you know, Christian uh, the, uh, 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 Protestant theologians, um, you know, uh, as well, like Karl Jaspers or Soren Kierkegaard, but certainly Catholic ones like Max Scheler and Gabriel Marcel and, and so forth. All these thinkers have one thing in common, that they have three out of four, if not four, of these four levels of happiness. What is a level? A level just means as you're going up the scale of happiness, you're getting to be more pervasive, enduring, and deep. So you're getting some uh, goods that will go beyond yourself, and you're getting some goods that will last longer, and you're getting some goods that are deeper and, and you know affect the quality of what you do. So you want pervasive, enduring, and deep. That's what you want. But remember, you've got to give up something. You're going to give up intense gr- immediate gratification, intensity, and you're also going to give up surface apparentness. So it's going to become less obvious. It's going to have to require some delayed gratification, and it's going to also be less intense at first. Let me just give you some examples. Level one is like sensory material gratification. You get a new car, you're happy. It's very surface apparent, etc. Number two, ego gratification. Number three, and we'll talk about these later, is going to be contributive beyond yourself. And number four is going to be faith-based. 
Timory will be right back. Send her a tweet at Timory. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where morality and culture meet, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. Father Spitzer, Father Robert Spitzer of the Magis Center is here with me, and we're talking about his four levels of happiness. It's something that we all pursue. In fact, there's a famous talk show host by the name of Dennis Prager, and I remember years ago he started this hourly um, really presentation on the topic of happiness. And since then, he has uh, really talked about how this has become such a famous hour. People tune in just to hear about human happiness for one hour a week. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we're doing today with Father Robert Spitzer. I'm going to pass it back over to you, Father, as you break down the four levels of human happiness. Right. So uh, as we're just saying, as you move up the scale, you are getting more pervasive, enduring, and deep, long-term, indeed eternal, but you have to give up some immediate gratification, some uh, surface apparentness, and uh, intensity. So um, uh, we got to level one, and we said that level one really is like a good bowl of linguine, so a sensory satisfaction, or uh, a new car. You buy a Mercedes E-Class 500 and, uh, with leather upholstery, and you feel happy just going around the, the, the curves with the German engineering, et cetera, et cetera. So that could make you happy, but it's only a very, very limited kind of happiness, not pervasive, enduring, and deep at all, just satisfying me. Then you go to the second level of happiness, which is ego gratification. 71% of our culture has this as their dominant form of happiness. So you can see why all the neuroses are going on out there, as we'll explain in just a moment. But anyway, it basically comes when I do something better than somebody else. But I'm always making a comparison, and I'm always getting some form of ego gratification. This kind of happiness comes when perhaps I win at chess, or perhaps it comes uh, when I get more power or more status more popularity, or I'm considered to be more intelligent or more good-looking, etc. Can I give one example, a couple examples? Social media comparison has been huge, not just for women, but for men as well. Well, I'm not doing that. I haven't, you know, mm-hmm. I haven't achieved this type of project. I haven't, you know, spent time with this type of people. I mm-hmm. haven't gotten married. I haven't had a child. We're always looking to the next thing to compare ourselves for mm-hmm. so many people. And especially as, you know, widespread use of social media, this is where people are stuck at, I think, in this rut of comparison. And that's right. And, you know, this, uh, we're going to talk a little bit later about the comparison game, and social media has exacerbated the comparison game and the depression that comes from it. As a matter of fact, since social media has become more um, uh, intensely used, and it has, um, uh, the depression rate among young people has increased 31%, and correspondingly, the suicide rate in the last 15 years among young people has correspondingly gone up 31%. That is enormous over 15 years. That's 2% over every year over the last 15 years. Is there any other reason that I can think of besides social media? No. Social media is basically enhancing the comparison game out of sight. 
and who's achieving more? Who's achieving less? Who's got more power? Who's got less power? Uh, you know, who's got more popularity, less popularity? Who's more intelligent, less intelligent? Who's got the better lifestyle? Who went to the better party? Who's better looking? Who's more athletic, et cetera, et cetera? And all these questions are going on all the time, and now it's on a continuous basis with bullying being premised on it at the same time. So what you have is a real, real difficult uh, you know, um, uh, time for these poor young kids, and they don't know how to get out of it. Level three, level four, of course, is the way to get out of it, but they don't know. They haven't even heard the menu. So for all intents and purposes, they don't know what's disturbing them. But as we'll say in, in a moment, uh, you know, this, this ego comparative happiness is increasing depression, jealousy, fear of failure, fear of loss of esteem. It's also increasing ego rage, ego blame, uh, self-pity, and, and a variety of other kinds of things, but it all lends in the long run to deep depression and an increase in suicide rates. More on that later. The third level of happiness is contributive happiness. If we can get uh, help our kids to move to the contributive, that means you, you want to make a difference, a positive difference to someone or something uh, beyond ourselves. So the objective then would be to 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 do make that uh, positive difference um, to somebody beyond their, uh, ourselves. It could be our family member. It could be our friends. It it, it could be um, to our schoolmates. Uh, you know, in, in in school. It could be to our colleagues at work. It could be to our, our community. Certainly, also to our church and to the kingdom of God. So when we're trying to make an optimal positive difference in all these areas, it's a different kind of happiness far more pervasive, enduring, and deep. And notice what happens as you move to level three, as we'll talk about later, the amount of depression and the amount of ego sensitivity and ego rage, ego blame, self-pity, inferiority, superiority, etc. All these emotions which are causing trauma uh, with our young people begin to decrease considerably. So contributive happiness is a part of the solution. But the other part of the solution is level four happiness. And level four happiness uh, uh, also um, is uh, very, very important, uh, which, of course, is faith happiness or faith-based happiness, transcendent happiness. And that's where we actually start living for an eternal purpose and we start living for a transcendental identity, a relationship with God, and to be integrated into his perfect truth, love, goodness, beauty, and home. And this is the only thing that will satisfy us. You know, in the Confessions of St. Augustine, at the very, very beginning, this is what he he, disco- he discovered, right? That, that uh, he says right at the beginning, and it's just like Aristotle's first chapter, right? For thou hast made us for thyself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. We'll never be satisfied uh, unless we're in a relationship with God, unless we're living for something eternal, unless we're living for something transcendent, like perfect truth, love, goodness, beauty, and home. And the only way we're going to do that is through a relationship with God, is through a church. And, and so this this idea of faith happiness is really important because even people who get up to the highest levels of contributive happiness. I mean, they're level three all the way. They basically are people who have a, uh, they're serving others and so forth and so on. Can they get into the same depression as as people, uh, you know, who, you know th- that uh, that uh, don't have um, uh, faith? And the answer to that question is: people who have faith do not 
get depressed nearly as often. There's a very important study done by the American Psychiatric Association in 2004 by Kanita Dervik and 11 other psychiatrists over many years. And what they compared religiously affiliated people with non-religiously affiliated people. What they found out is that non-religiously affiliated people, those who would be today described by the Pew Survey as a nun, N-O-N-E, as a person who really don't have any religious affiliation, those people had significantly higher. We're talking about double and triple the Mm -hmm. amount of depression, the amount of impulsivity, the amount of aggressivity, amount of substance abuse, the amount of familial tensions, and on top of it all, here comes the statistic, suicides. Non-religiously affiliated people had significantly higher rates of suicide. And, And what does that mean? They're just not happy. They're not happy in the ultimate sense. Bringing back Augustine's words again, for thou hast made us for thyself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. Without a relationship with with God and without a church, I mean, we're just doomed to be in the not happy category. And so we want to get up there because we are pervasive, enduring, and deep by our very nature. That is Father Robert Spitzer. You're listening to Trending with Timory. Father, as you're talking about this difference between level three and level four, level three is great. You're going outside of yourself. Mm-hmm. You're doing stuff for the sake of others. Mm-hmm. But still left there, that depression's present. We need to have faith. And one thing that I'm hearing from listeners when they heard we were going to be talking about really happiness, the topic Mm -hmm. of happiness, is they said stress is getting to them, especially high school and college students. Mm -hmm. I think we have people who are trying to enter into a deeper level of faith. They're stuck in maybe that contributive phase, but the stress, especially for the young, is eating them alive. Yeah. The stress is being caused by level two happiness about I would say 70, 80% of the time. There are other kinds of stresses uh, that ha- have clinical bases to them. You know, there, there might be some kind of a physical difficulty, et cetera, or there might be just an extraordinary amount of stress because something that's traumatic that's happening in the family, you know, a, a loss of a parent or something. So that that's, you know, can happen. But basically, you know, 70, 80% of the time, for, for sure, um, it's ego comparative happiness gone nuts mm. and gone nuts with, you know, the exacerbation mm-hmm. of the social media. Right. So you, you now have this, 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 you know, amplified ego comparative happiness. Who's achieving more? Who's achieving less? Who's got more power? Who's got less power? Who's more popular? Who's less popular? And of course, you can hear the neurotic intensity in my voice increasing with the asking of every question because <laughs> that's what's happening on the social media. They're going nuts. And the depression, the inferiority, the, the, the jealousy, the fear of failure, ego rage, ego blame, the self-pity, et cetera, is going nuts. And they got to get a way out. And as you put it, level three is a partial way out because they're generous, they're good. But without level four, you are not going to alleviate that stress. You need faith. You need prayer. You need to get into a relationship with God um, ASAP. Do you think unrealistic expectations have a huge influence on this? Yes, because they think that level two happiness, ego comparative happiness, if I could just be at the top of my game, if I could be recognized by everybody as being the number one person, et cetera, et cetera, uh, if I'm recognized by everybody as being the most intelligent person, I was certainly never the most athletic person or or the good looking (laughs) person at all. But for all intents and purposes, if I could just get this one thing, then I I'll really be happy, then I'll be really successful, then I'll have a life that's worth living. 
and that is the deception of the century. We'll be right back with Father Robert Spitzer. We'll talk about how you can truly achieve happiness and find that it actually goes hand in hand with your Catholic faith. You can listen to more of Trending via the podcast on iTunes or the iHeartRadio app where you can share your favorite episodes. You're listening to Trending with Timory. I'm here with Father Robert Spitzer. You do not want to miss this episode. If you're just joining us, you can find all links to these shows at radiotrending.com with my guest today, Father Robert Spitzer. We're talking about the four levels of happiness in this rut that so many people are stuck in with this ego comparativeness as Father Spitzer talks about. I want to throw one area in this comparison game. Can you speak to, in the midst of the comparison, people have a hard time getting away from toxic friendships and people. And also there's this guilt of obligation that some people have that's an unrealistic expectation they place on themselves. Yeah, I mean, oh boy, that's uh, toxic uh, expectations too. Right. And uh, so you're right. And the the, the difficulty is that with toxic friendships, um, these are people who may be classically level two. And let's suppose that you really aspire to go to level three contributive and level four faith-based happiness, and this is where your real goals are. You're really striving for the pervasive, enduring, and deep. The problem is, to the extent that you kind of maintain, let's call it a level one slash level two friendship. So you've got a lot of friends who are basically your materialistic pleasure folks and a lot of friends who are your ego comparative folks, and you're getting and maintaining the contact with them on the the social media, whatever you're using. The point is, you're going to get locked in and and they're going to drag you down. And so the, the, the key point is, you don't have to give up uh, you know, a friendship that's level one or level two, uh, especially a super dominant level one, level two. You don't have to give it up. What you got to do is start cutting back, mm-hmm. start spending less time on social media with that group that constantly is out there saying, I went to this, I did this, look at this, whatever it is, dress, clothes, shirt. I'm the Harvard guy, I'm the whatever guy. And it's just constant barrage of ego comparative happiness, right? Just cut back. You have to start somewhere. Start, you know, by saying, you know, I'm going to do 50% less of this. Now, at first you're going to miss it, but then you're not going to miss it. Trust (laughs) me. Just keep cutting back. And then if you're doing, spending a lot of time with these friends who are real level two, cut back on the amount of time. Don't have to cut out the friendship, just the amount of time that you're spending with them. And frankly, I just think you should cut back on the amount of time on the social media in general and start developing a set of level three goals and level four goals. So you got to replace it with something. So in other words, right now, you know, flipping on the TV or flipping on the social media or whatever it is, or, you know, the ego comparative is going to come blasting through the screen. 
you got to cut back on that, but replace it by first starting off with, what are my goals? How do I want to make an optimal positive difference to somebody beyond myself? How do I want to make an optimal positive difference to my family, to my friends, to the kingdom of God, to the church, to the community, to the school I belong to, to you know, et cetera? So you, you kind of have to divide it out and say, how am I going to do this? And number two, how am I going to start increasing my prayer life? What am I going to do, uh, not only to make, you know, to get to Mass and to get to confession at least a couple of times a year, right, if you're just getting started? You you just got to do this, but it's hard at first. But what am I going to do to make that Mass more meaningful? And how am I going to start my little prayer life? You know, and I I always say start with some spontaneous prayers, which are short one-liners, and then go to what I would call a contemplative life. And if I could just, you know... You know, selfishly recommend a book uh, that I wrote. It's called Five Pillars of the Spiritual Life. Trust me, it's really short. It's really practical, but it gives you how you can, you know, just a whole list of of, of uh, spontaneous prayers. It tells you what Jesus's intention was in the Eucharist and how to make it more uh, meaningful. And it tells you how to get going on a contemplative life and how to better follow the Holy Spirit and recognize when the evil spirit is influencing you. Just having these little four disciplines in your life, I'm telling you, it's going to make a huge difference and, and then you can get your level four going, but you got to get these goals. And so you have to set a little level four goal for even prayer and a level four goal for maybe number of confessions per year and a level four goal for mass every week and, and a level three goal of how I'm going to make an optimal positive difference to family and friends, et cetera. And when you start setting goals and you start trying to really reflect on how you're going to get them done, honestly, you're going to be able to break free. You don't have to cut all those toxic friendships, and you don't have to cut out the the social media. You just have to cut back and replace it with these new level three and level four goals. And eventually, I'm telling you, level three and level four habits are going to come. And when they come, you're going to look back on your life and go, how could I have spent so much time on social media? How could I have let these friends manipulate me for all these years You know, in level two? I mean, I'm so much happier now. Mm. And I think that we have so much time that's spent wasted, and it's not until hindsight we see that. Can you review, this is Father Spitzer here on Trending with Timory of the Magis Center, and you can find so much of his work on the Magis Center as well. You can go to radiotrending.com where we'll have all the links, including the link to the book, The Five Pillars of the Spiritual Life that you mentioned, Father. Mm-hmm. But you mentioned four goals in stepping into that next level. Can you review those four goals? Yeah. So the first thing is we really want to have a goal for the Holy Eucharist. I mean, basically, this would be not just the Holy Eucharist, but for the other sacraments. So we start our prayer life with those sacraments. Now, of course, you want to find a Mass that really does speak to you. But, you know, there are just such a wide variety of Masses. Believe me, find one that really speaks to you, but commit yourself to going every week. Uh, Sometimes, of course, there's going to be a problem, but just commit yourself to going every week. 
commit yourself. I'm just begging you to going to confession just four times a year, just seasonally. You know, just start there if, if this is not a habit for you. You know, just winter, spring, summer, and fall. Put you it know, on your calendar. Put it on your calendar. It, nothing is real until it's on the calendar. <laughs> and, and so, but just commit it. And, and so you start with that sacramental life. And there's a little intro there in chapter one on what Jesus intended in the Eucharist. So it just dispels any doubt about the real presence of 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 our Lord in the Eucharist. You just read that. Please read that chapter. You don't want to have any doubt that you're taking into the real body and blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. The second um, area for goal setting is the spontaneous prayers. They're like one-liners. I mean, they're as easy as help or, you know, Lord, make good come out of whatever harm I might have caused or just push back the foreboding, Lord. Lord, just push back the foreboding or I give up. You take care of it. And and I have a list of 14 little spontaneous prayers in there in, in chapter two. But if you want, you could just go to majacenter.com and click on the fourth landing site, a fourth landing page, which is called Spiritual and Moral Growth. The first landing page is Faith and Science. The second one is the reality of Jesus, evidence for the reality of Jesus. The third one is called Happiness and Suffering. So that concerns what we're talking about uh, today in general. And then the fourth one is called Spiritual Moral Growth. Click on that, and you can get all those spontaneous prayers, the whole meaning of the Eucharist, Jesus' intention of the Eucharist. It's all there on that landing page. You don't even have to buy the book. The third goal that's uh, really important is is you want to start a prayer life, right, beyond the, the spontaneous prayers. And this would be like a commitment to 15 minutes of prayer, uh, you know, a relationship with the Lord during the day. Now, I, I, again, if you're not doing this, don't start with 15 minutes. Start with 10 minutes, maybe just two decades of the rosary, and there's a little bit more to this than than, uh, I have the time to explain right now, but if you would kindly go uh, to chapters 7, 8, and 9 of that book, uh, Five Pillars of the Spiritual Life, or you could go to majacenter.com, click on the fourth landing page, Spiritual and Moral Growth, and then go to the article on contemplative prayer. It's called Spiritual Conversion and Contemplative Prayer. Just click on that article. It is a wealth of information on just how to get started and how to recognize the love of Jesus in the in the scriptures and how to begin to embrace that. But the one thing I'm just going to give you right now, start every contemplative prayer, whether it's t- five minutes, 10 minutes, just commit to starting every single day, but start it with this, Lord, I know you are here. Just continue, Lord, I know you are here. I know you love me and I love you too. Always start your contemplative prayer with that relationship prayer. Lord, I know you're here. I know you love me. I love you too. So we connect with the Lord in love. Then whatever we're doing in our contemplative prayer, whether we're reading scripture, praising him, saying the rosary, I would recommend absolutely when you're getting started on your contemplative life, there's a little book. It's pretty cheap. You can get it. It's called the Notre Dame Prayer Book. There is like 100 prayers in this prayer book, and they're really good. But what you need to do is you need to spend some time thumbing through that book and just put a little marker uh, or something 
by the prayers you really like so that you can pick out about three or four prayers as you're getting your contemplative prayer life going that you can say, remember, you still want to keep the Eucharist and you want to keep that confession going because that's what will build the foundation for you so that when that relationship with the Lord comes, you're going to really feel right with the Lord and and the relationship. I'm telling you, it's going to come. You'll get hooked. I got hooked. And I was a utilitarian, quantitative rat. I mean, seeking power. <laughs> when I was a kid, and, and look at what happened to me. It will come, uh, trust me. And that's that's kind of the, the third um, area that you want to get started. The fourth area is just simply knowing how the Holy Spirit leads you and seeing the signs of the Holy Spirit and knowing how the devil tries to influence you. Yes, there is a devil. I assure you of this. And he's very cunning and he's very sly. So you need just a few tips on how to do that. And that's your fourth goal. We'll be right back. We'll walk through that fourth goal just a little further and dive deeper into happiness. Timory will be right back. Send her a tweet at Timory. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where morality and culture meet, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. My guest today is Father Robert Spitzer of the Magis Center. You can find more about his work. And in fact, much of what we're talking about is broken down with incredible resources, free resources online, broken into modules and videos, articles. That's the MagisCenter.com. So M-A-G-I-S Center.com. You can also find all the links to my guest, Father Robert Spitzer, and his work at Radiotrending.com. We're talking about these four goals that you need to set in in your life in order to move forward. First is a sacramental life, the Eucharist. Second is incorporating that spontaneous prayer. Third is uh, really starting to have that 15 minutes a day of prayer. And then fourth, we're diving through that next goal. And if I'm giving a quick summary, mm-hmm. so please go and listen to this episode if you're just joining us. Let's go ahead and go into that fourth goal. Sure. The fourth goal concerns what we typically call following the spirit or the discernment of spirits. And so it's just a few little common sense rules. So it's just not overly complicated, but there are these signs of when the Holy Spirit is leading us. And how should we follow when we see these signs in place and we know we discern that it's the Holy Spirit? How do we best follow him? So sometimes the Holy Spirit is inspiring us and, and, and we want to follow that. And sometimes he's protecting us. We want to follow that. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is guiding us. We want to follow that. But we need to know, well, when is the Holy Spirit doing this? And, and if he is doing it, how best should we follow? So if you uh, go to chapters four and five of this book, The Five Pillars of the Spiritual Life, or you could go to majacenter.com, click on the fourth landing page, which is uh, spiritual and moral growth, and just quickly zoom to the article on discernment of spirits. Then you can see how best to do this. There's the other side of the equation, and that's our spiritual enemy. And he, he exists. Don't think he is a cartoon character in red tights with horns. He is a very cunning spirit. You don't need to fear him because Christ has already defeated him in his passion. How However, we have to be very conscious of his temptations 
and his deceits and his accusations. And he does three things, and, and uh, the first thing is he tempts us, and we know how that works, so that he tempts us through our imagination. So he plants little things inside our imagination, and then if we allow this to go forward, then you know the imagination builds and builds. And once imagination builds, remember this, emotion follows on imagination, not necessarily on thought. But emotion follows on imagination. Once you've got the picture image in your head, emotion will follow. And emotion moves thoughts into action. So note what happens. The devil is going to get right to that imagination if it's a bad one, one of the eight deadly sins, which I describe in detail in, in that website, majacenter.com. Just go to Spiritual Moral Growth. If you go there, go to the eight deadly sins. There you'll see how the devil works. So he comes swooping in, and then what he does is he builds it up to the point where once your emotion is engaged, oh, try to turn it off. And once your emotion is strongly engaged, it's really hard. So the discipline we got to do is say, whoa, I'm being really tempted here. I got to stop now before the emotion is engaged, because once emotion's engaged, I'll try to move to action. So I got to be really assiduous in that. The second thing that the devil does is he actually deceives you, and he's very good at deceiving you, and he's deceiving you. Uh, sometimes he'll make you think that black is white and white is black, as St. Ignatius of Loyola would say, or he'll make you think that good is evil and evil is good. Or, you know, we're reminded of so many movies, oh, the Gordon Gecko in Wall Street, you know, greed, for lack of a better term is good, ladies and gentlemen. And of course, he makes this very convincing speech. But of course, he is simply living up to his name, Gecko, the lizard, the devil. He, he basically is, is an evil character, but he, he tries to convince you that what is wrong is right, what is evil is good, and what is good is evil. So he works both ways. And so there's some discernment rules that you can learn. I, I can't go through it on this show, but just go to that article on Discernment of Spirits, and, or go to that article, which is called um, a Spiritual Conversion, and contemplative prayer. Just go to any one of those articles and look at those rules for discerning when the devil is trying to make you think that good is evil or trying to make you think that evil is good. And there's some just some very good rules uh, that were uh, put together by St. Ignatius of Loyola. There's a third thing the devil does. He's an accuser. And so when he comes to you, especially, uh, you know, after you have committed a, a sin. So let's suppose you actually submitted to temptation. Then he comes and he says, Spitzer, you know good louse. You can imagine now what God is thinking of you. Failed again. There he is sitting up in heaven going, Spitzer, after all these years, lo, you have improved not a whit, and today you disgust me more than ever. If you ever hear these words, like it's coming from God, I hate you, you disgust me, you're loathsome, you stupid wretch, 
you stupid idiot, whatever it may be. If you hear hateful words that are supposedly coming out of the mouth of God, it's not God. There are real easy ways of detecting this. This is definitely the devil. This is definitely his voice. You've got to get used to it, though. And he's always good when the minute he, he he's a bait and switcher, right? So he tempts you, he gets you to sin when you submit, and then he accuses you and pounds you with the fact that God is an ogre, he'll never forgive you, and you're a wretch, and you're damaged goods. So his basic intention is to really bring you to the point of despair. Don't fall for it. God doesn't want you ever in despair. He wants you in hope. God is there to forgive you and love you, not to hate you and be disgusted by you. you got to know the true voice of God. The way of getting that, the easiest way is to read Luke 15, 11 through 32, the parable of the prodigal son, and just know that the father in that parable is God the Father. It's Jesus' consummate revelation of who God is. So the first thing that you, you have to do is you have to read that parable again and again and sort of read it like a first century Jewish person would read it. Go to majacenter.com when you're um, doing this and then uh, go to the fourth landing page, um, uh, Spiritual and Moral Growth, and then click on the article which is called Getting Started on Prayer. There's a little interpretation of the father of the prodigal son as a first century Jewish person would have heard it. But that boy has committed, that the younger son has committed every sin you could commit in first century Jewish culture. He basically told his father he was as good as dead to him, so he shamed and violated his father and his family. He then shames and violates his country, his election, his homeland, his Jewish people, because he goes to a foreign land. That means to a Gentile country. Then he shames the Torah and shames God and, and violates God and Torah by basically violating every principle of Torah right and left. He lives a life of dissolute living. And then on top of it, he has to live with the pigs. And pigs are very unclean animals. There's rules of purity in first century Judaism. If you touch a pig, you could get pigness on you for life. If you live with the pigs, as this boy was, you're so filthy, it's unimaginable. So the only thing a first century Jewish person can think of when they think of this boy is, ugh, they can't believe it because he's just so steeped in sin. How does the father respond? Remember, this is your God. How does the father respond? He sees the boy coming from afar, and he's overjoyed to see him. So overjoyed that he does not send out a servant to tell him, get off my property, you unclean person. I've disowned you years ago. No, no. The father, your God, runs out, meets the boy, throws his arms around him, and kisses him. He then says, quick, get sandals, and put it on his feet. Sandals signifies a free person, not a slave. Remember, the boy was a slave in the foreign land. Get sandals, put it on his feet, and then he says, Quick, get a robe and put it on. A tunic is, this, you know, worn by aristocracy. Treat my boy like royalty. And then he gives him the family ring. Jewish men don't wear rings, uh, you know, for cosmetic purposes. It contains the signet on it, the symbol of, of the family. And, and so giving him the ring is like our wedding ring. You now belong to my family 100%. Same signification. And so you can see the father accepts him back in complete joy and love after all of this sinfulness. That's your God. 
We have just a little bit of time left. That's Father Robert Spitzer on Trending with Timory. That fourth goal in achieving your next level of happiness, what is it, Father? The fourth goal is just to discern spirits as clearly as you can, avoid the evil spirit and his seductions, as well as his accusations and deceits. And secondly, when you see the Holy Spirit and he's constantly trying to guide and protect and help you and inspire you, then follow that guidance of the Holy Spirit and you will will never be disappointed because he loves you. You can find out much more about Father Robert Spitzer and his work at themagiscenter.com. That's M-A-G-I-S center.com. You can learn more at radiotrending.com. Father, we have about a minute left. More thoughts on achieving that next level of happiness to kind of put that bow on this entire segment. Yeah, I would say the making of goals is really the critical thing. You not only have to make your level three goals, how do I want to make an optimal positive difference to my family, friends, community, church, kingdom of God, etc. The other thing you really got to do is make your level four goals. So set some goals for getting to the Eucharist every week, confession four times a year, and then set some goals for starting your contemplative prayer life, working your way up to 15 minutes a day, and finally make some goals to be saying these spontaneous prayers, just kind of memorize them if you could. They're conduits of grace. This has been Trending with Timory. To book her to speak or learn more about her guests, visit radiotrending.com. That's radiotrending.com. You can listen to more of Trending via the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or the iHeartRadio app, where you can share your favorite episodes. 